the Missional Life Podcast, inspiring kingdom-minded believers around the world to live the mission of God in their lives. All right, welcome back to the Missional Life Podcast. Today, we have an amazing guest to introduce you to. His story has been featured on networks such as CBN and Daystar. He's co-author of the book, The Witness, and he's a former mafia man turned Jesus follower. Robert Borelli, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Once again, I just want to let you know it's an honor to be on your show, and I do appreciate it. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Welcome. Welcome. You know, you have such a testimony of God's redemption, you know, in your life and in our lives as a whole. And, you know, before we talk about the amazing story of God getting you out of the mafia, let's talk a few minutes about how you got yourself into the mafia. Take us back to the beginning. Yeah, well, yeah, it's uh, when I when I was growing up, I didn't know it at the time, but there's three types of people that were in my life. I mean, that I didn't know. My mom and dad, who most of the arguments, we were kind of in the slums of Brooklyn. So we didn't have a lot of finances. So there was struggles financially to make ends meet. You had at that point in time, up until I was eight years old, there was four of us and then a, a younger brother. So I know it was hard for them, but the arguments, you know, growing up with that, it's not something, okay, I want to be like my dad or, you know, something like that because he, he did his best, and I understood that there. But then sometimes we couldn't, we, you know, we had the struggles, like a lot of sure. people might have. Mm -hmm. Then back in the 60s, you had a lot of people coming back from the Vietnam War, Korean War, whatever, I forget which one it was at that point in time. And a lot of my friends who were a little bit older than me came back and they were strung out on drugs or alcohol and stuff like that. So they went through a hard time. But then you had in my neighborhood also these guys, they had social clubs. There were storefronts, and uh, they seemed to have it all together in my eyes. You know, they had nice clothes, you know, things that I didn't have or things that I would like to have had. They, they, they flaunted that, and I seen it, and I gravitated towards that lifestyle. So I was a spunky little tough kid, and they kind of liked that, that I don't let people pick on me, that I was a fighter type guy, and they used to bring me in and they would take, give me to run errands and stuff like that. So I got involved with it probably at the age of maybe 14, 15 years old like that. But the age of 17 is when a lot of it, when I finally realized what it was to be involved with, with the, the family, because I didn't know it was organized crime. I thought it was just guys that had money hanging out, you know, but so that's just how it was. But these guys got all the respect in the neighborhood from everybody, everybody in the neighborhood. I learned later on that they were kind of running the neighborhood and they protected the neighborhood. So I gravitated to that as, as an early age. Becoming seven, 17 years old, I started hanging out with one of the guys who was a wise guy and it wasn't a lot like it is today, but the few that was there was actually a made man in the Amino Prime family. I started staying with his son in Queens and in Queens, when you know, we were hanging out together, we did a lot of bar stuff and drinking and there was fights. So I was building a reputation for myself as a, as a tough guy. And his dad kind of liked that part about me. So he would bring me on a Friday night. His dad would have a big dinner and a lot of people would come in, all men would come in and pay, uh, or not pay, but, you know, show up there and, and the respect that he got. And I mean, and these were... Guys well-dressed, 
money-making guys that was involved with, with the, the gaming of crime family who were underneath him. They were associates. He was the main guy. And that's, <clears throat> and when I was 17 years old, I'm sitting with all these people because of his son. I, I, I mean, I was amazed by it. And when I seen the, the respect that his father was getting, uh, it's something that I wanted for myself. So I was uh, an ego maniac, if you want to put it that way. And, uh, you know, I, I tried real hard to make a reputation for myself. In the beginning, I was called, I was looked at as, that's Andy's son's friend. And that wasn't good enough for me. I want them to know me of who I was, not that I was a friend of somebody else. So fight started. And what happened is, and I believe it's, and I hate to use the word claim to fame, but I don't know what, any other way to say it. And somebody might correct me with that someday and I'll start using it a different way. But there was a fight in a bar. <clears throat> this was in 1973. Somebody got killed and me and another guy were wanted for the murders, for the murder. And my friend's father took us and hit us out for like a year and a half. <clears throat> when we came back a little bit to the neighborhood, my first arrest at the age of 20 years old was for two murders and possession of a weapon. And because at that time, you know, being that young, you didn't hear about those type of crimes. It's not like today. Back then, you didn't hear much about something like that. <clears throat> and because I laid up and I waited and, and I ended up going to trial and beating the case, these guys were infatuated with who I was. And they said, okay, this guy is really something. He's a young kid. He didn't give nobody up. He did his jail time, a little bit of time that I did, fought a murder case, didn't take a plea on it. And to them, that was a sign of a, a man, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I came out, they would parade me around and they would bring me to a lot of other people and bosses and they would say, okay, you're, you're the up and coming star in the Gambino crime family. And that wow. kind of made my ego even bigger. And, uh, and what I can say it this way, I became a legend in my own mind, you know? <laughs> And the problem with becoming a legend in your own mind is you have to convince everybody else you're the same legend, that, that you know you're that legend. So, and that's just how I, I grew up. And then we did a lot of things together. And the more that they trusted me, the more things that they gave me to do. And, and I had this one guy, his name was Nicky, and uh, he groomed me, he dis discipled me in a bad way, but for him it was a right way. <clears throat> and took care of me, and I trusted him. He was like kind of my God at that point in time. Like, Whatever he asked me to do, I would do. No questions asked. The two things he taught me in the beginning of my of, of hanging out with him was you never let nobody know what you're thinking or how you feel. And when I ask you to do something, you just do it. You don't ask me why. So I, I And that's when I came real close to him, and that's kind of like the start. Wow. You know, already we're, there are just so many amazing things there. You know, I've heard it said that you, you know, you become what you behold and, you know, for you kind of growing up, you kind of beheld these people that had, that had wealth and you, that had respect. And those things are, are temptations for all of us, you know, and in fact, like you look at, you know, Jesus and the temptations in the desert, you know, uh, those things were brought to him, this respect, this worship, this, you know, all the things. And, you know, so we all have those kind of temptations that, uh, that draw us into something. And, and I love how you, you know, you kept on coming back to this idea of, I wanted to make a name for myself. 
my, myself. And, you know, as we're young, as we're growing up, you know, we're always about, you know, and, and really before Jesus, we're all about self, aren't we? We're just about magnifying. We want people to see us. We want to see us. We want people to see how amazing we are. And, uh, you know, when God enters that story, he kind of flips the script on that, doesn't he? But, um, you know, and then what you said about disciple, you know, you, you didn't, he, he, you didn't question what he said. You just did it. And, you know, Jesus really wants that in, in a lot of, you know, wants that from us as well. And, you know, listeners, you know, remember that people, if you, if you have young kids in your life or if you have younger people that in your life, uh, discipling them, how you disciple, you have such influence in their lives and you can really steer someone onto the good path or onto the bad path. And uh, for you, you know, you you found somebody to disciple you, but you found him discipling you into into a whole trajectory that you really didn't anticipate, did did you? I I used it as, a, and you don't hear the word too much today. It's consequential thinking, and that's one thing I never had. I didn't think mm. of the consequences. I did what I had to do. It was very spontaneous. You asked me to do something, I did it, and I let you worry about the consequences because you're asking me to do it. I never did. Uh, so I put myself in a lot of bits. Uh, positions because of that you know so i think it was shakespeare that said the decisions you make will determine the life you live so if you hear my story the old story about the old guy i made a lot of bad decisions a lot mm -hmm. of them and i had to suffer the consequences of them wow so you know take us kind of move forward move the story forward a little bit for us you know you you made those con you made those choices and you suffered some of the consequences tell us about what that you know what that did and how that set you up kind of for, for another season in your life? Well, you know, this, when, when I speak with people who come around me and I try to minister with them or disciple them, uh, I let people understand one thing is back in my old life, and I've been in and out of prisons many times. I've been in front of a lot of judges many, many times. And uh, I wasn't sorry for the act. I was sorry for the consequences. Mm. In other words, I didn't take a plea to go to jail and admit my guilt because I felt bad about it. I did it for it was a good plea deal. So in other words, what I'm trying to explain, I'm hoping I'm doing this clearly, is I was only concerned about the consequences of the action, not the action itself. Mm. So a lot of that has changed in my life, and I thank God for that. So. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you ended up, you know, in jail for, you know, a period of time. Tell us, you know, some of that and how God kind of began to work in your life during that time. Well, then you're talking about the last time I was in prison? Sure. The last time. Okay. The last time I was in prison, I, I like to start it this way, if you don't mind, is mm -hmm. I was involved with the mob. And then with the mob, there was some big money to make in selling drugs. And I got involved with the drugs. Then I started doing the drugs, and then the drugs got involved with me. And I ended up losing everything completely. And I lost a lot of respect in the neighborhood. The wise guys had to back off of me because it was a, you know, I was a bad, um, I don't know how to say, it, influence or kind of way disrespecting them of what I became. Uh, so that brought me, uh, it was part of, I believe, God's plan today when I look back at it. But I was wanted for something in Florida, and I was also wanted for a case in New York. And I got a visit, what I like to tell people is two angels. Now they didn't have 
halos or wings. They were warrant officers. And the reason why I say that they were my angels now is because that was December 23rd, 1997. I'm sorry, January 23rd, 1997. And it's the last time I had a drink of a drug. Mm. That's why I believe they were my angels. God sent them to put me in a place where he could finally maybe get my attention because I think he's been trying to get my attention for all these years. Mm. You know, I truly believe God seeks us, then God saves us, and then God sends us. You know, mm. so that, that's how I look yes. at my life today. He seek me when I was in that prison. So, and the story with that is, is that whenever I go to jail, two things that are very important to me. One is to get a good attorney to get me out of the mess I got myself into. And the second thing is to get as much money I can in my commissary so I can live as comfortable as I can while I am in jail or prison. So those are the two important things. So I'm calling up everybody. Now, my daughter was born in 1993. And because of my drug addiction, when she came out, I stayed with her for about seven weeks, had an argument with her mother, walked out of the house to get high just for a little bit, but it didn't work out for a little bit. You know, they say one is too many, thousands not enough, or the one was too many for me. And I stayed out in the street. So the mom wouldn't let me buy, buy the daughter because of the lifestyle that I was starting to live in. Uh, but when I came in jail, she said, okay, I'll let you talk to your daughter. So I would call up and she would put my daughter on the phone. But before that day, I'm calling up everybody else trying to get money. Because you got to remember, I said, I lost everything. I didn't have any money. I was strung out on crack cocaine at that point in time in my life. And I'm asking everybody for help to get a couple of dollars for attorney, get me out of the mess I got into and money for my commissary. But everybody's denying me this time. Usually it doesn't happen that way, but this time they are. So to me, I think they were saying, we, we think you're better off in jail than you are out in the street because of the lifestyle that you were living. So that kind of like hurt me a little bit. But this one person I called up, her name was Lisa, and she said, why don't you go read your Bible? And I'm saying, okay, how's that going to help me? I don't understand. You know, so I figured it's a brush off. In other words, I'm not going to help you. Go read the Bible. And say that. Oh, yeah. So that stood in my mind, but I'm calling my daughter now this one time and I'm talking to her. And her name is Brianna. And I said, and she was crying on the phone. And I said, Brianna, why are you crying? She said, because she won't come and see me. Now I can't get high. I can't get drugs. I mean, I could have got them, but I wasn't doing that anymore. Even in jail, you could get them. I couldn't get a drink. I couldn't medicate myself, in other words. So I had to live with the reality of the life that I lived when I was out there. And I looked at myself, inside myself, and, and I was just broke my heart because I knew I wasn't going to be able to see it. There were so many times I could at least try to see my daughter. Maybe the mother wouldn't have let me, but I didn't even make an attempt because I'd rather get high and stay in the street. That broke my heart. So when she did that, said that there, I knew I was going to do a lot of time. I knew it wasn't going to be right away that I was going to see, and it just broke my heart that this little girl is not going to get what she wants to see her daddy. So I hung up the phone. I didn't want the inmates to see me crying. That's a sign of weakness. I ran back to myself. And that's when I gave God kind of an ultimatum. Now, I was raised Roman Catholic, so I knew about God, but I didn't know him personally. I knew there was a God that exists, but didn't know him personally. So when I went back to myself, the pain was so great that I would have rather died. And I said, God, if you're real, 
to have somebody kill me and change me. I don't want to live this life. I don't want to live with all this pain anymore. And absolutely, I think God heard the cry of the sincerity of my heart that I didn't want to live the life that I was living. I was willing to change it. And I believe he entered me through the power of his spirit at that point in time. Your, your expression, I finally faced the reality of what I what I had done. It really reminded me of, you know, the scripture of, of the prodigal son. You know, it says when he finally came to his senses, when he finally came to, you know, he turned, he, he realized what, what have I done? He faced the reality of what he had done and left, you know, these good things or he had, you know, left something good. And here, you know, you're facing the reality of something that you had lost, something that you had really left, you know, uh, among other things. And um, wow, what an amazing, what an amazing kind of turn of, 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 of events. So, you know, you, and, you know, even in, even jail, God was kind of pursuing you. He, you know, he was, you know, speaking to you and, and just kind of wooing you. And, you know, we sometimes forget how, how gentle it is his kindness that brings us to repentance. And, you know, it's, it's Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. You know, come to me when you're tired of kind of, when you're tired of facing circumstances, when you're tired of, you know, when you finally face the reality of what you've done, I think come. C.S. Lewis sums it up pretty good, in, in, from, in my opinion. See, I, and I believe it's C.S. Lewis. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us through our conscience, but he shouts to us in our, uh, in our pain mm. as a mm. megaphone for a deaf and dying world. Mm. I was definitely, at that point in time, deaf to whatever God was trying to talk to me about. I was definitely dying, that's for sure. And there was a fear that came over me that I never experienced in my life. Now, I've been through a lot of things, drug addictions, people trying to kill me, all that stuff. But this fear was so different. And I'm, this might be the first time I'm sharing this on, on, on in a podcast or even in my testimony. Hmm. And I believe today it was the fear that I was headed to hell. I already had one foot in it. And then God came and snatched me up. Hmm. So. Oh, you know, I... I think about, you know, as I was reading your story, kind of preparing for this, I, I, what came to my mind was sort of this idea of, you know, the Israelites, you know, in the Old Testament, they start looking to, you know, they start to looking to Egypt, they looking, they start looking to their neighboring countries for help, you know, they start going through hard challenges, and they look to other people, other things besides God, you know, and you had this, you know, these relationships with the, with the mafia, you had these, you know, these people you had done life with. And there was no one to reach out to. They had all kind of turned their back on you. How did, how did, that, how did that affect you? Well, I'll tell you the truth. I felt completely hopeless. Mm. I was a guy stuck in jail, and the reality was, listen, what I wanted to become with the mob I, would never happen anymore because there's no way they can trust. Now, I could have been around them, did some things with them, make some money with them, but I could never got to where I was because I destroyed that reputation by being strung out on drugs. So they couldn't trust me to a level that I should have been trusted or I wanted to be trusted in. So I look at that part of my life and say, okay, so I'm no longer gonna be the up and coming son. They give me no crying family. I already blew that there. But there's other times when I was in jail or in prison, I came out and started drugs all over again. There was times when I changed locations and probably not the smartest moves I made in life, but go to Vegas to try to changed my life, and I don't know why it was Vegas, Sin City. I mean, that wouldn't be a place that you could try to get away from your addictions, but anyway, or California, 
And one thing I realized that wherever I was going, I was taking me with me. So the mm. change wasn't going to happen until it happened inside. The outside change really wasn't going to change that much. Mm. So that's kind of how I, I, I look at it, at it today. Um, and I, I'm getting off track for what the question that you asked me. And I'm sorry about that. But either I was going to, I'm not going to be a mob guy and I'm probably going to die Robert the crackhead. That was how I felt mm. at that point in time when I was in that prison cell. That everybody, even my own mom thought I was better off in jail. And I could understand that. I do understand all that. Trust me, I do. Because mm -hmm. I was out there, I was I was a living wreck. That's what I was. I, I was a guy that was out there probably going to die in the streets. That's why I call those angels, those two officers, my angels, was they actually rescued me and they don't even know they did it. And I wish some way they might be able to know that someday. Mm -hmm. So that was quite a few years ago, though. So, but that's how I felt completely, completely hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just want to bring up the part in the book, um, you know, as you share this part of your testimony, um, just that the prayer that you prayed, it wasn't fancy in the jail. It was just one of sincerity, one of reaching out to God. But um, I was just going to read a couple sentences from the book, The Witness, um, in this part. So it starts, um, his plea was simple, but powerful words and had an immediate effect on him. The brokenness that had sent him running to a cell and falling to his knees in desperation was dissipating and a tiny seed of hope was planted where his heart lay crushed. So one, a simple plea, but full of power because you're reaching out to God and he immediately responds to you and gives you that seed of hope where you had previously felt hopeless, as you just said, and that's what God does for us. We cry out and he responds immediately. He doesn't wait. And I just thought that was so powerful. And, yeah, and Jesus to... talks about how, you know, the, that those who will worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. And that, you know, in truth, that whole, when you look at the original language that I understand it, you know, it's, it's without a mask, you know, with, when you just, when you quit pretending to be something that you're not and just come to him as you truly are, mm -hmm. you know, that's when God can really say, look, like, are, are you done? Are you done being that person? Cause I have so much more for you. And I feel like that's what he was saying to you in that cell. Well, you, you know, I, I, I'll go a little bit deeper. I don't think it was the word so much, but it was my heart mm -hmm. crying out to God, not mm -hmm. my voice. Mm -hmm. It was my heart crying out to God because I was desperate. Yeah. something to change me and I've tried it so many different times on my own and it just never worked always brought me to the same place over mm -hmm. and over and over again so that's why I believe God honored it so much at that point in time because my heart crying out to God's heart it doesn't work when it's on our own does it yeah. It, really, it really doesn't. So, and one other thing that stood out to me was you were, you know, you kind of use the word son, I think, you know, that you were trying to, you wanted to be the son or this, this person in that, in that crime family that was trusted and, and that, uh, that was resourced and, you know, had, you know, just sort of connections and, and uh, just could kind of move freely and, and just really have that authority. And, you know, the person that you wanted to become in that family was the person that you already were in God's family, really, you know, and it's just so funny how so many times that, you know, we, 
we strive for something, we strive for these things that God freely wants to give us. You know, he just says, seek, seek my kingdom first, you know, and all these other things I'm going to, I'll give to you, I'll, I'll give them to you, but just, just in your heart, put me first. And uh, as you start, as that shift started to happen, as you, you know, as you made that prayer and God started to speak to you in the prison, um, boy, you know, things started to align themselves for you to become, uh, become a free person and, and to live a different life. And so I'd love to know some more of the scriptures. What did God speak to you? What, what scriptures did he use to speak to you in that prison? And, and how did you, you know, go from being in prison to having this new life that you now have? Well, after my desperate cry of being hopeless, my, my, I was talking to my mom and my mom said, there's this federal agent that keeps coming around, leaving his card. And I, 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 I don't know, but because I felt so desperate, I told, asked my mom to give me the phone number. And she said, what are you going to do? And I said, mom, just don't worry about it. So I called up the feds at that point in time got on the phone with the guy. And I like to use the terms that we used to use in a mafia kind of thing is, I believe they gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. Mm -hmm. you know, they told me that if I cooperated with them, that they would, they would help me get a new start in life. And basically it would be the witness protection program. So, you know, I have to tell you, I didn't understand, even though I'm reading the word of God every day, at that point in time in jail, I was reading some of it and get to my old books that I because that's what I do. I do a lot of reading when I'm in, in prison to stay out of the trouble of the system. And uh, I felt the Holy Spirit just telling me, you need less of those books and more of this book. And I just built into the Bible. It was a point in time and that's the only thing I read was the Bible. And uh, anyway, to to get, get more involved with what we're trying to, to convey here is that the government, uh, I didn't know born again. I didn't know what that really meant. You know, I was reading some words, but I didn't have uh, the knowledge of what it was at, at carrying out. So um, I, I don't want anybody to think there was a magic wand went over my head when I cried out to Christ and everything in my life changed because it didn't happen that way. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand all of it, uh, but I kept on reading it anyway. So after I told the government I would cooperate with them, and, and that's when uh, things started happening for me. And I believe totally today, it was just this Holy Spirit moving in me and through me. And so, using other people, too. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, that's how God's kingdom works, isn't it? You know, he, mm -hmm. it, it's through, it's through other people. It's relationships and, you know, it's, it's not about a single person. It's about the community as a whole, you know, making an impact. And uh, so, you know, what was some, what was some of the, what were some of the things that happened as they began to, you know, kind of take you through that process of, of making you that offer, you know, as you came out of prison, um, what are, what are some of the, the ways that your life became new and different? Well, I had to do time, that's for sure. So I had to do time. I was placed in Sandstone, Minnesota to finish out my time. It's a WITSEC program. And basically, you're not in the witness protection program until your sentence is over and you're out. And then they, what they do. So I met with the marshals. They shipped me someplace. I don't know, remember exactly where it was. And they evaluate me and give you these psych psychology tests. And then they come in and this is the, the part that I, I really love, uh, part of my story anyway. So they come in and they say, you can keep your first name, but you have to change your last name. And I said, mm -hmm. okay, so 
They say, give me a name. I would give them a last name. They would go out, come back about 20, 25 minutes later and say, no, that's no good. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but so it happened a couple of times. But there's one time I'm watching this show, MASH, and there's a, a guy needs a heart transplant, and they send for this Dr. Borelli from another unit to come into the unit. Mm -hmm. They do heart surgery, do a heart transplant for this guy. So they happened to come in when I was watching it, and I said, okay, uh, Borelli. And they came back later, and they said, okay, that's your name now. That's mm -hmm. how I got my name, Borelli. So, wow. And the key thing is I didn't see it at that point in time, or understand it at that point in time. But this guy was doing heart surgery, and the Lord knows I needed some heart surgery. Amen. So I guess maybe I came Dr. Borelli. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but my prayers at that point in time, because now they tell you where you go, and and, and and you know, I believe God, God just did so much in my life to show me so much that I could look back at how the spirit was just guiding me, and I didn't even know it was him. You know, I thought it was just bad circumstances, and hopefully. They're going to work out good. But they send me, and I believe God gave me a taste of Abraham when he told Abraham, pack up everything, we'll send you to a foreign land. But they ship me to San Antonio, Texas. And to me, that's a real foreign land for a guy who came out of jail from New York City. Right. Yeah. So that was it. But the two scriptures I had to hold on to, because the government lets you know, we only help you for a little bit of time. Then we get you a new identity, we get you stuff, and then you have to go and you have to live your life. We're not, we don't support you forever. So the thought came to my head, okay, I've got an eighth grade education. Didn't do much, anything with my hands and things I did with my hands, I no wanted to do with my hands anymore. Let's put it that way. So I didn't have any skills or anything. So like when they let me go, how am I going to live? I don't have the resources I had back at home. I don't have connections. I don't have all these things that I could rely on other people to help me. So my that was a big fear for me. And then I remember in, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 25 through 34. And it speaks about, and 33 is the key thing. But the, the upside of that, the other verses is that God's going to provide for you. In other words, he said, the lilies of the fields, so, you know, all these things that we need, God knows we need them. Mm -hmm. So what I had to do, and I really paid close attention, it says, seek first in verse 33, the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And I had to read that every day, because there was a lot of fear, like I didn't know what I was going to do, and I knew I couldn't go back home even if I wanted to. So. Wow. Wow. Love that God did you know, did heart surgery in you, you know, he, you know, we are new creations when God, uh, when we become Christians, you know, and so when you became Robert Borelli, it's like you were a new creation, you know, behold, all things are, are made new and you had this new life and you had this new name and this kind of new identity and you had to find out kind of this, this new occupation. And uh, I, I love how, in scripture, you look and there's so many different characters or not characters, but you know, people um, that we, that we meet in scripture that had this kind of identity change that this name change. And uh, you know, we see that with Paul and with, with Jacob, you know, Jacob became Israel and Saul became Paul and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and Peter, you know, Peter was originally Simon. Right. And uh, speak to us about how that has affected your life. You know, that you used to be this way, and now you're this way. You used to be named this, but now you're this. How has that affected you? And, you know, what kind of, you know, 
what kind of thought process do you have and how has God used that to kind of reveal some spiritual things in your life? See, you know, I, I, I truly believe that God speaks to us on the terms that we could probably understand him best. I think he's that gracious to us. Yeah. He's not going to try and hit us in the head or anything. He's <laughs> on a level that we can understand him. And when I look at the born-again experience that we speak about in, in John chapter 3, when Jesus says you must be born again, I'm a big fan of that there, to be honest with you. And I think we all should be. But what the government did for me, and this is how God showed it to me, that I'm a new creation. What the government did to me is just to let you know, they wiped my slate clean. I have no more record anymore. Wow. Mm. I have a new name, a new social security number, new baptism. Everything is brand new. And how they do it, I don't know how they do it. Amen. But everything is right. So if you look up my name, Robert Borelli, and my social security number, you won't find nothing back past 1999 when I got all that information, all that identity. Mm. What the government did in the natural, God already did in the supernatural. In the Amen. He wiped my slate clean. All my sins are forgiven. I have mm. a fresh new start. I have a new identity in Christ Jesus and a brand new life. And mm. I just glow in that because God showed me, Robert, you really are born again. You're no longer Robert Angle. He died. You're now Robert Barelli. And even when I got baptized, I did get baptized when I was in prison. And I cried like a baby because I realized that when you go down, you're dying to self and you're coming up and doing this of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. Robert Engel died. And when I came up, I didn't know what name I was going to get at that point in time, but I came a new person. Mm-hmm. You know, that makes me think of, you know, not only us, but, you know, there's a lot of us, you know, collectively that really have a hard time letting go of our past, letting go of, you know, who we were or somebody that's, or a situation that's hurt us. You know, can you, can you speak to that? Like, what would you say to somebody who's, who's had a, having a hard time, you know, really forgiving themselves or letting go of who they were in order to become who God wants them to be now? Well, yeah. Uh, what is, I, I'm totally honest I asked a lot of people to forgive me. Some did, some didn't, and I'm okay with that. I don't understand that there. The hardest thing for me was to forgive myself. Mm. It took a lot of years for, for that to actually really start happening in my life. It would happen, and then, you know, Satan loves to play with our mind. He likes to play the old tapes of our life yeah. to remind us who we were. And when he tries to do that to me, I... He even wants to remind me of my past. I, I remind him of his future. Mm-hmm. So usually when I remind him of his future, where he's going, he like he doesn't want to hear that, so he leaves me. Mm-hmm. But I think there's always a battle that's going to go on. I mean, in the beginning, because of certain crimes that I committed, certain things like in natural life would be happening and would just remind me of how I used to take something good. And I'll give you that for instance. We were in a big credit card scheme years back, and, and so every time the register would go through when you slide your card back in them days. That means the register was not, that means your credit was approved. So every time I was using somebody else's credit card and I see the register open up, it gave me, wow, making money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Kind of that thing. So when I was living in the right life, you know, my new life, when the, those things would happen, when somebody slide their credit card, it would remind me of, of that there. Mm-hmm. Hanging out in hotels, mm-hmm. getting high, you know, you pass them. So he did, but I think the key thing for me was I had to pray right there and then, you know? 
And one of the other key things for me is I wouldn't leave my hotel room when they first put me put me into the program. They put me in the hotel. I wouldn't leave my my room without me reading at least three chapters. I'm not saying you have to. This is for me. Three chapters, a proverb, and 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 five psalms. That's kind of how I did. I was so afraid to go out there because, like I said, I didn't understand fully the, the morning end experience that I would fall into those temptations, you know, uh, that I would become that old guy again. So that's what I had to do. But I learned through life, through my new life, is that I would pray before the temptation came, not while it came, but then again, I would pray while, while it showed up in my life. So I would pray, God, help me protect me. I know you have a plan of purpose for me today. Mm -hmm. I can't do it without your spirit in me. And keep me from that evil one because I know he's going to try to tempt me. No matter where you go today, there's some form of temptation. And when you live the life that I live, there's many, many forms of temptation because I did a lot of bad things. I love that. We need to anticipate. It's like we need to kind mm -hmm. of pre preempt the enemy when he, you know, we know those those temptations. Those that kind of that attack's going to come. You know, the, the enemy will want, he's the accuser of the brethren and he's going to try to come back and remind you of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we're all guilty of that. I know, you know, even, the, even the day I, I struggle with that, some of that, you know, and, uh, but preempting that, you know, like you said, I, I, I was in the scripture. I prayed, God protect me from that, you know, and, and sometimes we still go through those things. And, you know, what you said was pray through those things and, you know, remind yourself and know that God is for you, that he is working those things for your good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are going to be triggers, you know, like you said, the, those credit card machines were, were triggers for you. It kind of reminded you of, you know, and we all have those different things that that person that we see or that, that thing we do, or that job we go to, or whatever it is, that place we pass, yeah. it's going to remind. But by arming yourself with God's word that disarms each and every one of those triggers. Absolutely. So that's so good. But that's why it's important when the Bible speaks about renewing the mind. Mm, yeah. and, and the only way we can do that is to get God's word. You see, people say, and, and this, this is just for me, so I'm, I'm not, I hear people say we need to get into God's word, and I agree with that. Mm. But we have to get God's word into us. Yeah, true. What goes in us is what's going to come out of us. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so if we're just getting into God's word for the sake of getting into God's word and thinking we did something spiritual and God approves that we did something nice for Him, we we missed it. The only way we can renew our mind is getting allow God's word to get into me. Now, one story I'll tell you is when before I was going to be released and the marshals were going to pick me up to go into witness protection program, I had no idea how that was going to work out for me. What I did was three months before I was going to be released, because they let you know when your release date is, I would take my Bible, I would lay it on the floor. I would lay down, put my head in it. And I'm not telling you there's anything super spiritual about it. This was just God honoring my heart. Yeah. And I put my head in it and I say, God, let your words penetrate my mind that I never forget them. Mm -hmm. And then I would push myself up, place my heart in the Bible. And I would say, God, let your words penetrate my heart that I can live them. And that was, and I think God honored. Now, it wasn't something spectacular. It, you know, it wasn't a miracle or anything, or maybe it was a miracle, 
But I think God honored what I really want, how I really wanted to live my life. It was to honor him and bring glory to him. And the only way I, I could do it is I had to get his word in my heart and in my and the renewing of my mind. Mm-hmm. So that helped me out a lot through all these temptations and stuff that I was going to face once I did get it back into society. Mm-hmm. So can you share with us more about that, um, just the process then, you know, after witness protection and um, and now you're doing ministry, you minister at nursing homes and, you know, all these things for God's kingdom. Can you just share some of that journey with us? Sure. When I first came out and I was in a hotel, I, I was looking for a church and I know I needed to be in the church, but uh, I was so afraid to not be in the church that I would go into this one church early in the morning, hang out with the pastors. I would bring donuts, coffee, and we sit down and we talk. And there's times when I didn't want to leave there. And I know they have work to do, so they had to let me go on my own. But that was, I just wanted to really be planted in the church. I wanted so much to do that. And I really felt that all the things that I went through, you know, once again, God never wastes the hurt, you know. We could mm-hmm. take some of our bad moments in life that we did and use it and, and, and for his glory. You know, not the same thing, but in, the, in a different way, a more spiritual way. So that was uh, uh, me. I, I was just, man, I was, I just wanted to, to glorify my heavenly father. And the way I did that now, there's things that happened when I first came out. Now, just say this here to you. Back in 1997 was the last time I seen my mother and it was through a visit. She was on one side of a plexiglass, I was on the other. So that's the last vision I have of my mom because mm. once they put me in the program, my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. I didn't mm. know the extent of things because nobody could know where I was, nobody could get in touch with me. Everything had to go through the marshals. Mm. And uh, she passed away. Um, it was, I think it was April 4th or April 5th, only a couple of months, uh, one month after I was out out of a a prison and into the witness protection program. I didn't know she passed away until three days after she was passed away. And because I was in a witness protection program, I couldn't go to the funeral. So I never see my mom again, except for that that plexiglass. That's the vision I have Mm. of my mom, which is not the most pleasant vision. So a lot of that played a big role in in finding of, you know, seeking God. Well, I don't like to use the word seeking, getting to know him more. Let me say it that way, because it's not like I lost him and I'm seeking after him, but I wanted to get to know him more. So mm-hmm. I started going to uh, some people from the church. You say, hey, we have a nursing home ministry. Why don't you come uh, come with us? And it's not what I wanted to do, to be honest with you. <laughs> so this one time, they bothered me a few times. We would have our Bible studies early in the, early in the morning, a men's prayer breakfast every Saturday. And this one time, I don't know what happened. I was driving past, but they were waiting to go to the nursing home. And I just pulled in there and said, okay, I'll go with you. When I looked at the nursing home, it just reminded me of a prison. Now, I understood why I was in prison. But these people, to me, were in a prison because of their conditions, their circumstances. They were prison to themselves and in this place. And when I found out my mom died, I got a little angry because this new love, this agape love that I never experienced before that God placed in me. My mom, I needed to share with my mom more than anybody because I put her through so much. And when she passed away, I was kind of a little angry. 
And I didn't understand it. And I said, Lord, you know, if anybody needed this love that she gave me, it was my mom. And yet you, she got saved, my mom. And, and I said, you took her home. And he, I felt him saying to me, start going into these nursing homes and you give that love to all these people who really need it. And that's how the nursing home started. So at that point, when I pulled into the, into the uh, parking lot and I went with them, I seen them in prison and I knew that they needed something. I'm going to tell you something. I did something very unique with the nursing home ministry. I, I, uh, I mean, in, in a sense, anyway, I would be there twice a week, every Saturday, every Sunday. Every Saturday, I would give a Bible study. Every Sunday, I would do a sermon. But I wanted to do more for them. I wanted to, to get them to have something to look forward to. So I would throw parties. I would, on Saturdays, I would bring popcorn. We'd watch a movie. Uh, we bring people in to do their nails on a different Saturday. So every week I had something different for them to look forward to. And I think that's in a way, you know, that when somebody feels hopeless or stuck in a place, and but they have something to look forward to, it, it brings life to them a little bit. Yeah. So that's what I did. I would do barbecues for them. I, I mean, whatever I could do. But my main thing that I wanted to do, because I seen in the nursing homes that a lot of people didn't get visits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. family not from their old past, there's nobody. So I wanted to try to bring the family. So what I did was at this big barbecue thing, they allowed me to do it in their facility. I had people, food sent in and I invited all their families to come. Hmm. If you feed them, they will come, right? Truly. <laughs> so that's what I did. It was expensive barbecue. It was really top-notch stuff. And people came and you could just see the joy of... Oh. The, the, the children and their moms and their dads coming together and not everybody had it like that but you could see so we started doing that and I was there for two years so I did that for two years straight and after that people found out where I was and I, I had to leave uh, mm -hmm. San Antonio so my heart was with nursing but I didn't stop nursing home ministry there I continued in Dallas mm. Wow. Powerful things happen around food, don't they? And, you know, when you go, when we go with food, but when we, when we, more importantly, you know, when we love people, you know, mm -hmm. and I've done nursing home ministry myself uh, with music is that, you know, when you just go in and just show the love of Jesus to them, mm -hmm. you know, these people are, you know, really knocking on death's door. Um, they're kind of in this waiting room, essentially, uh, you know, uh, of the next life and there's no one there, they're alone, you know, and you kind of, you kind of call it right. Some places do feel a little bit like prisons, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, and just going in there and smiling and just loving them man, can make such a difference. You can shine and you can change the trajectory of, a, of an entire day or, you know, week or a month or whatever for these people. Um, just knowing that for them, knowing that somebody else cares about them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Amazing, amazing. You know, there's that old saying, it goes like this thing. I don't know how old it is, to be honest with you, but nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And when we show them the love, and you know, God is love, right? That's He says, I am love. Mm -hmm. If we have Him in us, then we are love. So, so we wouldn't have to force ourselves to try to show it. It's who we are now. Yeah. yeah. It's not what I do determines who I am. It's who I am determines what I do. It's yes. gold right there. Yeah. It's gold. Yeah. Gold. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, you know, I think about the title of your book and kind of your, your, 
your past, your roots right there with, with the mafia and, you know, how you went to jail and you, you know, essentially were, you know, called upon to be a witness and to kind of really point things out. I don't know the whole story, but, you know, you were a witness. And when I think of a witness, I really think about, you know, somebody who, you know, who sees something happen and I see them kind of sitting in a room, you know, behind a mirror and they bring five or six people in and, and they, they, they point to somebody and say, you know, that's it, that's him. And, you know, and I think about how you, you did that, you know, in a prior life with that, but now you point people to Jesus. You're the witness to Jesus. You, you, you go into places and you, you point and say, that's him. That's truth. That's life. That's love. That's joy right there. And you live that out in your life. That, and that's just incredible. That's what we, tried, we titled the book, The Witness. I was a witness for the government. I was a witness for Christ. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, like I said, it's who I am. And then nobody, see, the powerful thing for me, because I, I went to Bible Institute, I went to Bible College. And not for no other reason I'm saying that, it's just, so somebody, intellectually or probably if we had a debate in, in theology could probably win it because I'm not that sharp. But nobody, nobody, nobody could tell me different about what God has done in my life. That's why share my testimony is so real to me and hopefully to other people because I, beyond a shadow of doubt, I know it was God. Now I had people say, oh man, that's good. You changed your life. And and they try to give me credit for it. And I said, listen, I can't take no credit for these things, right? You know, and Paul, I think, says it great in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in, 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 in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I look at that and I say, well, if God to give himself for me. Who am I that I can't give myself to him? And that's one of my favorite verses. The whole Bible is my favorite. Absolutely. So much truth in all of it. Absolutely. But yeah, I love that. And that's, you know, that's really, you know, what the missional life is all about is, is, is knowing the word and, and living that out and allowing God to kind of shine through you. And, and I love how, you know, God's taking, you know, all of who you, were and all of who you are now and he's shining himself through you and, and through the story that he's telling through through your life that's that's incredible absolutely incredible you know wrapping things up where can people find your book and and how can people connect with you how can listeners connect with you do you have a website do you have social media that people can uh follow you on well as far as the book let me just put it on display a little bit you can say it i don't know if it's right but anyway <laughs> it's uh, through the website it's for any donation and if you want me to sign it you just ask I, I'd like to, for you to sign so you make a donation you give me your information I'll sign it and mail it to you that's how it works for any donation in the stores they're not in stores you would have to go to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com and buy it for them and if you do that it, I'm not able to sign it unless you run into me and I can sign it then but but because it's going through through that uh, them, but I recommend everybody try to do the website uh, because everything the book brings in goes into the ministry. Nobody takes not one penny from the book. So everything proceeds from the book 
goes into the ministry so that I can continue doing what I'm doing because I do need support to continue traveling and doing the things that God called me to do. And, uh, and, and I just love doing it, you know? So it's so exciting to do something finally that you really love to do. You know, yeah, true. Reminds me of the old days. I mean, I have to be honest. I did love some of that. I'm not going to deny that. But it's finally really good to really do, doing something positive. And then for the King of Kings, man, like, come on, man, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Like we say in New York, forget about it. Forget, forget <laughs> about it. I love it. I love it. Uh, and did I'm sorry. Did, did you have a website or did you have? Uh, I have a website. RobertBorelli.com brings you to the website. On the website, you'll have uh, the book or you'll have a donation thing. Go to the donation, you donate it, and you just write, I want a book, and then you put in your address, your name, or if you don't, don't want to put your name, whatever way you want to do it. But I need your address. That's the only way I can get you the book. So, uh, And if you want it signed and if you want it written to you, say, I'd like to have my name in it, and you sign it. And, and I, I will mail it out to them personally. Absolutely. Awesome. You know, in conclusion, you know, what would be, if you could kind of sum up your, your testimony, if you could come up, sum up the message of your life, the mission of your life, how would you sum that up? You know, that people always ask me, what's your mission? And, and, you know, like people have other, and me is, you know, I, I wake up in the morning and this is me and my wife pray together. My prayer is God, thank you for waking me up in the morning. And I know you have a plan and a purpose for me and my wife just for today. That's why you woke me up. And I can't carry that out without your Holy Spirit to enabling me, to lead me, to direct me so that I could accomplish everything that you're asking me to do today. Mm -hmm. I'm not guaranteed with any tomorrow. So I, that's my prayer daily. So my thing is I, 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 I love to minister to young people. You know, you know, it says a smart person learns from his mistake, but a wise person learns from somebody else's. Mm. I didn't see the word smart in, in, the, in the Bible yet. I see knowledge, but I didn't see smart. Mm. But he always calls us to be wise, right? Mm. Be wise with everything that we have. Be wise with our stewards. Be good stewards. Be wise. So I feel that with young kids, they could see the life that I lived, the mistakes that I made, the places it brought me. You know, sin you know, uh, 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 keep you longer than you want, take you places you've never, you never been or, or dreamed of, make you do things you never wanted to do. And I want them to see that part of my life and how, you know, the, 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 the I'm trying to think the right words to say, but the average person from what I, what I read and studied up on a little bit, um, it might've changed was the average person makes about 1200 decisions a day. If you go to my past, it's over 10 million decisions that I made, which most of them were bad. And you see that's the consequences that I, that I had to go through. But there's one decision I made that changed the outcome of the destiny of all those millions of decisions. And that was making the decision to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And I live for him today. I mean, I don't live for anybody else, but for him. I have other responsibilities. But my life is based on glorifying God. I don't want them to see me. I want them to see Jesus. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, Mr. Robert Borelli, new creation in Christ. 
thank you so much yes, thank for you. joining us today. What an mm -hmm. honor, what a, what a encouragement to hear your story of what God is doing and has done in your life and, and how he's made you new. And, and, you know, those things are passed away and, and you, you have a new name, you have a new identity, you have a new purpose. And wow, Can I leave wow. with this thought. If we have a couple mm -hmm. of sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's never too late. And I emphasize never too late for a new mm. beginning. No matter where you are in life, what your circumstances look like, no matter where you feel you're stuck in, it's never, never, never too late for a new beginning. And I believe it should start with Christ Jesus, asking him to come in and live in through you. There it is. It's never too late. Mm. Amen. Robert Borelli, thank you so much for being on the Mission Alive podcast. What an honor. Listeners, Remember the witness, the book, hear the whole story or read the whole story there. It's an amazing book. Thank you again. Well, God bless you. I appreciate it, guys. Be blessed. Enjoy Bless your day. Blessings right. to you. Me too. Thanks.